It is Tuesday, December 13th, and this is People Every Day. Hi guys, Janine Rubenstein here with you once again. Today's show is a busy one. We'll be breaking down Entertainment Weekly's list of entertainers of the year. And yes, dearly beloved Lotus Lady, Jennifer Coolidge is of course top of the list. But later, we look ahead to tomorrow, which marks the chilling 10-year anniversary of the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary. One of the young survivors sat down with people to talk about what the last decade has been like for her and how, as a teen now, she's striving to end gun violence in America. But before all that, let's get into what's been swirling around out there in the news. It's been roughly two weeks since news broke that Good Morning America hosts Amy Robach and TJ Holmes were forced into an unexpected hiatus. People can confirm that ABC is still conducting an investigation into the romance between the two on-air hosts, but a source shared with us that, quote, there are no suspensions in effect, and that, quote, the network is just gathering information at this time. They're investigating the relationship and understanding the details before figuring out what's next. Network execs are concerned that their romance has been a distraction for the ABC News brand. People can also confirm that the ongoing investigation was also addressed in a memo to staffers, which was sent by ABC News President Kim Godwin yesterday. In the letter, Godwin noted that the pair will, quote, remain off air pending the completion of an internal review. With a rotation of anchors filling in on the program, she shared that the continuing coverage of the co-anchors' romance, quote, can be distracting from the incredibly important work our team does here at ABC News. We will definitely keep you updated as we learn more. Emily Blunt is clearing the air on comments made by Tom Cruise. During an appearance on the Smartless podcast, the actress told the story of how Tom Cruise shared some straightforward advice to help her get through a challenging time making the 2014 film Edge of Tomorrow. As Blunt recalled, she and Cruise had to wear these enormous suits for the sci-fi film, which weighed about 85 pounds. And she further lamented wearing the suit, saying, quote, it was so heavy. The first time I put it on, I just started to cry. It just started to cry in front of Tom, and he didn't know what to do. And that's when Cruz gave her some uh, blunt words of encouragement. (laughs) She said, he just stared at me for a long time, not knowing what to do. And he goes, come on, stop being such a pussy, okay? Hmm. After the episode aired, some listeners were put off by the Top Gun star's words to Blunt, but she cleared the air in a statement saying that her story was, quote, taken literally and absurdly out of context. And that, quote, Tom is a dear friend and he was a total gem to me. It was said as a joke to make me laugh, which it did in a big way. And it's still something we laugh about to this day. Hey, if she's okay with it, then I think it's fine. Sometimes you need someone to kind of throw you off a bit and help you snap out of, you know, whatever you're feeling when your head is spinning. So glad to hear there is no bad blood between them. And as we continue to wind down 2022, we thought today was the perfect day to take a look at the folks who left their mark in the entertainment world this year. You guys, it's been a crazy year. As 2022 comes to a close, our friends at Entertainment Weekly are celebrating their picks for entertainers of the year. And it's a good list, guys. This year, as a way of celebrating the best in the biz, EW had fellow celebrities write tributes about the stars we all loved watching. So joining me now to discuss Entertainment Weekly's Entertainers of the Year issue is EW's executive editor, Clarissa Cruz. Hey, Clarissa, how's it going? 
Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, before we dive into some of these picks, I got to know how it worked behind the scenes and what did it take to get other major stars to write about them for you? Like, please, Clarissa, explain it all to us. (laughs) We solicit pitches from the entire staff and there are lots of very, shall I say, passionate conversations for the ones that people are pushing for for the list because we did choose only 10. We wanted to choose people who felt like this year in particular, you know, that they represented 2022, but also had the projects and mostly multiple projects to to back it up, that they were part of the conversation this year and just had a lot of passion amongst the staff. You know, we had Ariana Grande interviewing Jennifer Coolidge, who's our cover star. And that was just the most fun conversation. Like we had to, we had to cut so much of the I love yous and because they just adored each other so much. Well, I want to start there. The person who's on your list and on your cover is continuing to take the world by storm, Jennifer Coolidge. She's had a massive year with The Watcher and season two of The White Lotus. She won an Emmy. She's just killing it. And Jennifer actually can't believe the year she's having. Listen. When you're acting for a long time, sometimes it does sort of, you get on a train and you're just riding this train for a long time. So when it changes and all of a sudden something like this happens, you're sort of in a state of shock and you're like, oh my God, you know, I hope, uh, I hope I can do this justice. And of course, you guys got Ariana Grande, as you said, to interview her. So what did the two of them talk about, Clarissa? What did they not talk about? They complimented each other on their comedic skills, and they talked about how they first met, just all of the the things that they admire about each other. I mean, as much as Ariana admired Jennifer, Jennifer admired Ariana too. And, you know, but it wasn't just that. There There was those little bits of conversation that only come when it's too genuine friends talking to each other. And to make that connection for for folks that don't know, I mean, thank you, Next, right? That Mm -hmm. huge music video, that that spoof of Legally Blonde and that moment where Jennifer Coolidge is teaching Ariana Grande to bend and snap. And this is like in the midst of all of like the the, the Pete Davids. There was news tied into it. There was like, it was epic. (laughs) You know, as Jennifer says, it came during a certain point of her career that was kind of a little bit of a low point. And she credits Ariana with kind of breathing some new life into her career. And and, and you can just tell the fun and energy in that video was just contagious. I love it. One of my favorite picks on the list is the cast of Abbott Elementary. And my girl Kiki Palmer wrote the tribute for you guys because like me and so many other people, she's a fan. Share with our listeners what she had to say about Abbott. She's a fan of the show. They, it's not because they work together. It's not because they had done a project. But in this one, she was just a straight up fan. And she talked about the importance of Abbott just kind of shining a light during the time that we were in, how much it means to her personally and how that related to all the fans. Well, someone else having a massive year is Sadie Sink. We know and love her from Stranger Things. She's in The Whale with Brendan Fraser. She was in a Stella McCartney campaign. And who could forget, she was Taylor Swift's leading lady in the All Too Well short film. Well, Miss Taylor, who is celebrating a birthday today, she wrote Sadie's tribute. So what did she say? She was just so effusive and very, I think, specific about why it was Sadie's year. And I really appreciated that about her tribute. She really went into her performance in The Whale, which was devastating and explained it 
just as well as any movie critic would, how powerful that performance was. And then obviously directing her in her video where she had that personal connection with her, just talking about specifics on how she edited or didn't edit the scene because Sadie was just so good. Well, someone else I love who is on your list is Lizzo. She dropped her album special. She won an Emmy this year for her Amazon Prime TV series, Watch Out for the Big Girls. She released a documentary on HBO Max called Love Lizzo. And one of my queens, Missy Elliott, wrote about her and she said she, quote, immediately connected with her, right? What was that about? I love that because Missy is such an icon. But I think the thing that really struck me was that how she was talking about how she was just a regular girl. I think the the actual word she used was that they're both sturdy, but mush inside. And I think that's the kind of insight that only friends can provide or people who really know each other because a journalist can't say that, but Missy can say, this is how I am. This is how we're similar. And I really love that about her tribute to her. That's such a great line. Well, one more person we have to talk about before I let you go is Jeremy Allen White. He had a huge year with the hit Hulu show, The Bear. Fans know and love him from the show Shameless as well. And his TV sister, Emmy Rossum, only sang his praises in your issue. So what did she write? I think what was powerful about her tribute was that she said, you know, she never had even seen Jeremy microwave anything before. Yet here he is playing this like celebrated chef with such authority. The work that he did, he designed the tattoos for his character. He learned about how to move in in a kitchen. And she says that that's just him. He does the work so that when he plays these characters, there's so much authenticity. And I think that's what people, not just her, but that's what audiences connected to with, with the bear. One last little thing, though. Jeremy was nominated for a Golden Globe yesterday for his work in The Bear. And as we know, the Globes are coming back to TV next year with a ton of controversy, hopefully behind them, I guess. How are stars responding to their nominations? As someone who's covered award shows and nominations for many years, the response has been muted. I think with the Golden Globes, there's generally a sense of, wait, let's wait and see. Let's see how people respond because it definitely is a transition year for the Hollywood Foreign Press. So insightful, Clarissa. This was so fun. And it's always great to have you on. Thank you. And guys, make sure to go pick up a copy of EW's Entertainers of the Year issue. It is so good. Tomorrow marks the 10th anniversary of one of the deadliest mass shootings in American history. At the time, 17-year-old Nicole Melchiono was just a second grader at Sandy Hook Elementary when she and her classmates gathered together as gunshots rang out. Coming up, we hear her incredible story and learn how the horrors of that day have pushed her to become such an outspoken advocate for gun violence prevention. And I'll be honest with you guys, you may want to have some tissues ready. But first, Captain Lee Rosbach, star of Bravo's Below Deck, was forced to exit the show due to health issues. After the break, we share how the captain is doing and why he was forced to disembark from the series. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We 
are back and it's time to set sail into some big news coming out of Bravo Land. Captain Lee Rosback's time on Below Deck has dried up. Rosback, also known to fans as the Stud of the Sea, announced his departure on Monday's episode where he informed his crew that he would be bowing out of season 10 due to persistent health issues. Viewers may recall that Rosback was struggling with nerve issues when Below Deck made its maiden voyage on the Bravo Network back in 2013. The captain hoped his symptoms would subside over time. Instead, he shared in a confessional interview, quote, My injury is getting worse. The left side of my body, I don't feel anything. I expected a lot more progress than I'm experiencing. And he added that he can't do anything about it and that, quote, it's hard. As he came to terms that his health concerns may have an impact on the entire boat's crew, the captain later told Chef Rachel Hargrove, quote, this has probably been one of the most humbling experiences of my life. There comes a point if a captain is really being objective he should be putting the best interests of his crew first because that's your primary responsibility. It remains to be seen who will step into his role, but an earlier scene showed Rosback calling an unnamed fellow captain as he prepared for the premature end of his yachting season. Viewers will have to wait until next week to see who will be anchoring the show. On December 14th, 2012, one of the most unspeakable acts of gun violence happened in our country. As a 20-year-old gunman armed with an AR-15 assault rifle, two semi-automatic handguns, and an endless supply of ammunition blasted his way into Sandy Hook Elementary School, taking the lives of 26. Like most of the towns affected by these senseless acts, Sandy Hook and the people in its surrounding areas were forever changed. They witnessed weeks of funerals and hearses frequenting their local streets and a media frenzy that they hoped would shed enough light on the situation to never have this happen to another town again. But as we all know, more and more families and towns have suffered as they have. As lawmakers and organizations like Sandy Hook Promise continue the fight against gun violence on the upcoming 10th anniversary of the event, some of the students who were only seven at the time of this tragedy have now joined them, raising their voices. And today, I'm joined by People's Crime writer, Casey Baker, who is not only a local to the area of Sandy Hook, but recently spoke to one such survivor. Hi, Casey. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, Casey, you were there 10 years ago when all of this happened. I wonder if you can walk us through what you remember feeling. It was probably one of the most harrowing days of my life. That morning, we started hearing word that something had happened at a local elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. Schools in the area were put on lockdown, and 10 years ago, shootings weren't as prevalent as they are now. I heard President Obama speak the other night, and he said, this year alone, we've had a mass shooting every week which is really unthinkable. So that day, of course, I was assigned to the story because I'm on the crime team and because I do live kind of near Newtown. First, I went to Danbury Hospital and I drove there thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be a really long night. There are going to be so many victims. And then when I got there, the hospital was kind of dark and there was one news truck there and no one else because no one was coming to the hospital. And that's when we were starting to learn just how bad the carnage from that day really was. And we learned that obviously 20 little 
first graders and six educators, including the principal and the school psychologist, were killed that day. And we were all shocked to no end. Well, as the 10th anniversary of this tragedy, you had the honor of speaking to one of the students that was there at the school, Nicole Melchiono. Can you tell us what she shared about that day with you? Nicole is 17 now, and she was so incredibly brave to share her story with us. She was seven years old, and in second grade, she got up really excited for the day and couldn't wait to get to school. At about 9.30, the teacher called the students over to a carpeted area in the classroom, and they were sitting down and talking, and when all these loud bangs started coming one after the other. And Nicole said it sounded like metal pans being smashed together. And before long, panic set in. And she said the intercom in the main office had been left on. So the gunshots were coming over the intercom. So the teacher, thinking fast, dragged a desk with lots of books over to her and the kids and gathered them up and read them stories as her hands were shaking is what Nicole told us and called 911 and sang softly to the kids as they kind of huddled next to the coat cubbies. Nicole said she was sitting toward the front of the room and worried that if the gunman came into her classroom, that she would be one of the first to be shot. She said, I thought I was never going to see my family again. So they waited for what seemed an eternity until law enforcement arrived. And then she and her classmates ran to a nearby firehouse. Some of the kids who filed out of the school were told to shut their eyes because they were walking past the bodies of the principal and the school psychologist. So Nicole was reunited with her family, and like others who have lived through the unspeakable horrors of that day, after the shooting, she had terrible nightmares and had sleep anxiety for a long time. She had trouble going to sleep, and she had anxiety that plagued her for a long time. But there are times when she'll be out and about, and she'll think to herself, could there be a gunman in this crowd? So it really left her with dark memories from that day. Goodness. And now she is, excuse me for getting emotional and hearing that story, but um, she is now using her strength and her voice as an activist for gun violence. What has she been doing, if you can let us know? It's really been incredible. When she was in eighth grade, she wanted to get involved in the gun violence prevention movement. So she went down to D.C., and joined the March for Our Lives, which was put together by a bunch of students who were in Parkland in February 2018. And they had a massive rally. And then she joined something called the Junior Newtown Action Alliance, which is a gun violence prevention group that was founded after the shooting. And then Uvalde happened. And she said, I cannot deal with this anymore. I cannot believe another elementary school shooting happened. We've been talking about this for 10 years. 
So that's when she really dug in and started becoming much more active in the gun violence prevention movement. She went down to D.C. in July. She was invited by President Biden to come and join a celebration for the signing of the historic gun legislation bill that was signed in June. And she met some little girls who had survived the Uvalde shooting. And she said meeting them was like looking into her past, that she was around the age they were when they went through the shooting this past May. And she said it was really, really eye-opening. And at 17, she went door to door on Capitol Hill and went to each senator's office asking them to push for legislation on an assault weapons ban before the legislative session ends. And she said, there's a lot more we have to do. So she is heading off to college this next year and might study public policy. One thing she did say is that the reason she's working so hard is because kids shouldn't have to worry about their safety when they go to school. Absolutely. So, so proud of her and and thankful for her and the work she's doing. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your story, Nicole's story, all of it. I appreciate it. Well, you guys, there is no easy way to follow up such an incredibly powerful story like that. But I did want to end the show on a positive note that involves Christmas, a lonely old man and the kindness of strangers. Rhode Islander George Dowling lost his wife, Lucille, back in 2013. They had been married for 70 years, and she passed away less than a month before Christmas. That year's Christmas was hard for George. After all, it was the first one without his wife in seven decades. So the following year, George's daughter, Susan Brito, put a call out on social media for friends, family, and strangers to send her father a Christmas card. As she told the Washington Post, Dad loves getting mail. I thought maybe some Christmas cards would make him happy. Suzanne made the ask for cards a bit of a yearly holiday tradition, but the cards waned. And last year, George received only 14. So this year, Suzanne and her daughter, Charlene Fletcher, spread the word far and wide on social media. George's story found a new audience on TikTok and was picked up through local news outlets. And then, as if it were an early Christmas miracle, cards started flooding in. On November 28th, the 95-year-old received 73 cards. Pretty good. A week later, he got 2,265 in a day. Not bad at all. And as of yesterday, get this, George has received... 13,393 cards in the mail. (laughs) His granddaughter, Charlene, told the Post, it's so heartwarming and added that some strangers even thank the family for helping restore their Christmas spirit. I love, love, love this story so much. If you'd like to send George Dowling a card yourself to brighten up his holiday season and maybe yours too, his mailing address is 64 Harris Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, 02861. (laughs) I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you all for letting me be part of your Tuesday. And I'll be back to doing it all again with you tomorrow right here on People Every Day.